Well, good morning. I hope that after today, you leave feeling very encouraged that there's a God who desperately loves and cares for us, and that you took the next, well, you took this morning and came over to gather with people who believe the same thing. And here's what we believe. We believe that Jesus Christ is our Savior, and he has the opportunity, gives us the opportunity at freedom. And this morning, we're going to talk about part two of last week with dysfunction. If you weren't here last week, I'd like to recap just a real quick moment. We went over the story of David, and David has a very messy story, because the story of David involves death, involves lust, lying, all this different stuff. And David created some of his own dysfunction. If you look in the scriptures, you see some of the things that David did. And although he was a man after God's own heart and used wisdom at times, there was often times that he chose not to. Now, he did have a pure heart, and God looked at his heart and knew that David really wanted to follow after him, but sometimes temptation sets in. Sometimes pride sets in. Sometimes things set in that make us make decisions that we don't necessarily want to be making or aren't going to be helpful to us. So we looked at the life of David, and you see just a very sad story, because you see all this dysfunction taking place, and the nation of Israel has fallen apart, Absalom, his son, gets killed, who was trying to overthrow him. It's just an incredibly difficult story, because you're looking at it, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, what is happening here? How is this dysfunction destroying everything? And so what we talked about is there's a limitless opportunity for wisdom, and here's how I know that. Because in life, we live, this, we live in this world that's filled with temptation. It's easy for us to make decisions that aren't going to help our life. Maybe you're like me, and sometimes you make bad choices, and you're really wishing you wouldn't have, but that's just life. And you think to yourself, man, I've, I've went down this road and don't really know how I got here. Or maybe it's you're making decision after decision, and you're finding yourself in a place that is just not filled with hope. And the reason I believe there's a limitless possibility for wisdom is because I believe there's a limitless possibility for dysfunction. And any time there's dysfunction that has an opportunity to come into our lives, that also means that we have a chance to use wisdom, whether it's before the dysfunction comes or whether it's in the midst of the dysfunction. King David, he stood in the gate, and I explained to you that in Israel, that would have been a big deal because the gate was the first layer of defense, and then there would have been a second layer, and then the kingdom. And essentially what the story is trying to portray to you, that even though he was in the midst of the dysfunction, he stood in the gate. And what this is saying to us is, here's the deal, what, whatever you're going through or whatever is going to take place, if you can foresee some bad things happening, God is asking you to say no more. I'm not letting this stuff in my heart. I'm going to stand outside my heart and I'm going to block things. I'm going to protect my eyes. I'm going to protect my heart. I'm going to make sure that this doesn't take place any longer, the dysfunction. But it's really, really tough. It's really hard because sometimes what takes place is we allow dysfunction into our lives, maybe from something we caused, and that's actually who we become. In 2009, Chris Brown and Rihanna were the two biggest stars. Now, you didn't think you were going to come to Sunday morning church and hear about Chris Brown this morning, but let me tell you, this is a real story. Chris Brown and Rihanna, very publicized relationship, two of the biggest pop stars out there. Chris Brown is a young kid. He's making millions of dollars. He's making music. Good things are happening. He's got the world, if you will. 
And Rihanna has the world also. She's this big pop star, and this is the up-and-coming couple. This is the Jay-Z and Beyonce. I mean, this is happening. And these two are on the rise, Chris Brown and Rihanna. Can't think of a better power couple, right? And if you follow really anything, if you see the newspaper, you get online at the time in 2009, you would have seen that after the Grammys, a big fight went down, and Chris Brown ended up assaulting Rihanna. It was a moment for him of complete dysfunction. Now, here's what begins to take place in Chris Brown's life, and here, here's the reason I share this story is I, I'm not, I don't want you to focus on the assault part. I want you to focus on the dysfunction part. Because while you might, might not have made a mistake like Chris Brown, I want to tell you what's begun to happen to Chris Brown over the years. The tabloids read, he's a monster. You know, lock him up forever. Um, all this stuff. Now, we don't condone what he did. But years later, it's 2018, and if you look at Chris Brown's appearance, you listen to his music, you look at how he lives, he's a monster. I just watched a documentary not too long ago because I was kind of interested in seeing what his life looks like because I've always had a thing for the underdog, and I'll tell you, I felt bad for him. And here's why I felt bad for him. He began to buy into the fact that he's a monster. You see, that night changed everything for him. He made a mistake, and while, again, I'm not saying we're condoned that, I don't want you to focus on the assault, I want you to focus on the idea that he became, he became the shame, essentially. He was so shamed that he, be, that he became the monster. I don't know what your life looks like, but have you ever done something and dysfunction has come into your life? Maybe people have said something, or maybe you started to believe, or maybe the enemy has looked at you and said, yeah, this is who you are, and now you've actually become that person. Early on, you saw that you had a temper and maybe something happened or you made a bad decision and now you see yourself as the angry person. Maybe something in your life happened where you were abused or something took place and now you see yourself as the weak person. You see, I think the enemy, his greatest strength is allowing you to believe exactly what he wants you to believe from dysfunction that you've either caused or the second part of what we're gonna talk about today dysfunction that others have caused. You see, there's two types of dysfunction. There's the dysfunction that you have caused and there's the dysfunction that has been caused against you and that's what I wanna highlight today. See, last week we talked about David's dysfunction, King David, we talked about the things that he would have done that would have gotten him wrapped up in a kingdom that was a mess. Between the lusting of Bathsheba, between the rape of his uh, daughter and son, to the murder of his, of his son from his other son, to the killing of his son Absalom. This was an absolute mess. This was the dysfunction that he had caused. But what happens when somebody caused dysfunction in your life? I want to highlight a story today. It's a very popular story, but I think there's a lot of juice. And it's in Genesis 37, and it actually starts in Genesis 37 to 50. There's a ton of juice in these scriptures, but we're going to highlight stuff. Like I said, we won't have time, so I'm going to have to paraphrase some things. But I want you to take a look here. Turn your Bibles or iPhones to Genesis 37, 3 through 4. It says this. It says, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old, old age. And he made an, orma, an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So here's Joseph. He's 17. He's a good-looking guy, it says. It says he's got things going for him. 
And what begins to happen is there's some dysfunction that's starting. And the dysfunction is jealousy. There's some jealousy that his brothers have let in their life. Now, if you read the story of Joseph, you might think, okay, this guy totally, totally deserved this. Because he goes and tells his brother, brothers, hey, I actually had a dream, and essentially, you guys are going to bow down to me. Now, I want to ask you a quick question. If you guys, how many of you guys have younger brothers and sisters? Can I see a show of hands? Younger brothers and sisters. Okay, so we don't have, either you're not raising your hands, or you're just all the young siblings. I'm going to guess you're just not raising your hands. So here's the deal. What if your younger brother or sister came up to you and said, hey, I just had a dream. I know this is kind of crazy, but you're actually supposed to do all my chores. Like, I, I don't know. I know mom and dad didn't say that, you know, you guys had to do it, but I had a dream, and you're supposed to do all my chores. So is that going to happen? I'm guessing you probably would say, yeah, that's not happening. Or somebody comes in and says, hey, I have a dream, and you're supposed to just, like, give me all your money. I mean, basically, what is happening right here is Joseph is coming to them, and he's saying, I had a dream, and you guys are bound down to me. So I get there's a little bit of frustration, but here's the problem, is there's dysfunction that they are allowing in their lives, and it's a big deal. Now, I have a picture of Joseph, and this is an actual, authentic picture that I found um, in a very old historical book, and it's one of the only pictures we actually have of Joseph. I'm one of the first people to find this. I know this is crazy. I want to put this up on the screen for you. Joseph, that is a real-life picture of Joseph and his uh, Technicolor dream coat. So it's okay to laugh. That's not a real picture. So, um, but that, that is Joseph right there, really good-looking guy. Um, I think he's 16, 17 in that picture. So that's Joseph. So here's the deal. His brothers are creating some dysfunction. There's some issues going on in, in their lives. If you jump down to 37, 15 to 18, we're going to highlight the mistakes that is ta- or the, the things that are taking place in Joseph's life. Here's what we're going to highlight. 37, 15, 18, it says this. A man finds Joseph wandering around the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are gazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. I believe that's how you pronounce it. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. So his brothers have already done the first thing. They've already left him. You see, he's out wandering. The man comes and approaches him and says, what's going on? And Joseph says, hey, I don't know where my brothers are. They've already essentially betrayed him. See, the jealousy has gotten too much for them. So they're like, yeah, let's just leave Joseph here. We don't want anything to do with this guy. Dysfunction is already taking place. And now something is taking place that's even greater than just leaving him. They're plotting to kill him. Genesis 37, 23, 24 says this. So when Joseph came to his brothers... They stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty, and there was no water in it. The thing about dysfunction is sometimes it makes you do things that are not of God. The thing about dysfunction is sometimes it allows you to put God's righteousness that he has for you in your life aside. You see, it's very, very easy to let dysfunction creep uh, creep up in your life and to begin to fester. But I want to take it to the other side. I want you to look in your heart right now and think about something. I want you to think about the uncomfortable time and maybe how Joseph might have been feeling when you know that somebody is causing or is going to cause dysfunction in your life. 
I want you to think about how that feels. Have you ever been in a room and you're talking and you're laughing and you're hanging out with people and you feel that once you leave that room, they might be talking about you? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that maybe somebody is kind of, doesn't have necessarily your best interest in heart or in mind? Have you ever felt that when dysfunction has a chance to creep in your life and problems have a chance to creep in your life that the person that's actually doing that to hurt you might be a part of your life for the rest of your life because they're planning to do something terrible. I don't know if you've ever sensed that or if you've ever felt that. But when we experience somebody plotting against us or we experience someone gossiping about us or when we experience someone maybe going to do something to us that's gonna be harmful, you start to get that uncomfortable feeling. I, I don't think that's too far from what Joseph was feeling. See, he knows his brothers don't like him. He knows that there's dysfunction taking place. I mean, good grief. They left him, they're plotting to kill him, and now they just threw him into a cistern. There's some stuff going on here that I believe Joseph would have been feeling. He would have been feeling betrayed. He would have been feeling very hurt. And he would have probably been questioning God's plan. Because remember, Joseph is wise and he's having dreams. And now those dreams might be getting put to the test because of what's taking place. So in Genesis 37, 28, as we jump ahead, now he's gonna get sold. So they take him out of the cistern. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers, they pulled Joseph out of the cistern. See, it just keeps getting worse. It keeps getting worse here. And they sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Israelites. Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. I mean, are you guys following this? Like, we're knowing what's happening. Not only are they leaving him and abandoning him, plotting to kill him, they throw him in a cistern, now they're gonna sell him? What is going on? Why is all this stuff taking place to Joseph? What is happening? Did he deserve this? No, you're looking at the thing, all he did was describe a dream to them. He does absolutely not deserve what's taking place to this. How can God be faithful? Have you ever had things in your life that are happening to you, it just doesn't seem fair? Like, why is this happening? In fact, why would good things happen? Why would bad things happen to good people? It's a question we ask all the time. God, I'm serving you. I'm loving you. I have your provision. I know what you want from my life. Why do these bad things keep happening? How can I look at a Job in the Bible who is doing everything that God wants, all these good things, and yet Job cannot catch a break? Why did bad things happen to good people? Why is this taking place? I'm sure in the midst of this, Joseph would have said, God, what are you doing here? I mean, how can you let all this dysfunction take, take place? It's one thing if we cause it, right? Like King David, it's one thing if we cause the dysfunction. And I bet most of you guys could say, yeah, I've caused dysfunction in my life. I've made choices, but how about when you haven't? How about when somebody's doing something to you? This doesn't make any sense. If you're reading this story, I'm sitting there, I'm looking, oh my gosh, this is such a popular, you know, scripture. And when I'm in Sunday school, I see the little felt, you know, the little felt things, and you got Joseph, and he's got his great you know, dream coat on and everything looks good and he's got a smile on his face. But the truth is, Joseph would have been probably pretty frustrated with God. Like, what are you doing here? Because now I'm getting sold. It doesn't make any sense. As we go on further in 39, 14, 15, it just keeps getting worse. You gotta be kidding me. Joseph, because he was a good looking man, he gets sold to Potiphar and uh, Potiphar takes a liking to Joseph, but uh, apparently so does Potiphar's wife. And so Joseph is alone with Potiphar's wife and she wants to sleep with him. She says, will you sleep with me? And because Joseph 
is a man after God. He says, no, I will not. I'm not gonna do that. So what does she do? She does this. He tries to run away and she grabs part of his cloak and she calls her household servants and she says this. She comes up with this lie. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me. Are you kidding me? But I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. What is going on? Can't catch a break. In 39.20, Joseph's master, I don't think he probably wanted to, but he was furious at this time because how could you do that, Joseph? How could you sleep with my wife? How could you ask my wife to sleep with you? She has the proof. She has the evidence. You tried to run away and she grabbed your cloak. So the master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. That's the last part of the dysfunction that we're gonna discuss, but I want to shift a little bit. You see, when somebody harms us or does wrong to us, sometimes it's very hard to forgive them. Has anybody ever done anything to you where you just, you just can't quite forgive them? And we've heard it all the time. Well, it's so great, you know, you got to forgive them because not only are you forgiving them, but you're forgiving yourself. But I think sometimes what takes place is when somebody harms you or someone puts dysfunction, you can let this fester to the point where it can make you be the person that God never intended you to be. Here's the deal. Joseph could have had an opportunity to do a couple things. He could have had a couple opportunities to be angry. He could have had a couple opportunities to be bitter. He could have had a couple opportunities to be confused. And while I'm sure, the scriptures don't say, while I'm sure he was those things, he had a choice to make. He had a choice to make to see who he was gonna become because dysfunction can come into your life and make you a person that God never intended you to be. It can make you an angry person, a bitter person, a confused person, a sad person, a person filled with shame, a person filled with guilt. Maybe somebody has done something to you They've hurt you in a very serious way. You've been abused and you feel like such a victim. And you know what? You were a victim, but I want to tell you today, I've had plenty of conversations and counseling with people that have come share their stories with me. I got multiple emails this week after last week's sermon. And the, the, the emails essentially were saying, that's, that's great when we cause dysfunction, but what happens when somebody does something to me? What happens when somebody causes great dysfunction? You have no idea what I'm going through. And I couldn't agree more. I have no idea what they're going through. Granted, they didn't say you have no idea what I'm going through, but I don't understand what they're going through. But what I always tell them is here's the deal. You might have been the victim in that moment, but God does not look at you as the victim because you're free in Jesus Christ. You do not have to live the rest of your life as a victim because God gives you an opportunity to say, you know what? I'm not gonna walk in shame. This person might've shamed me. They might've embarrassed me, but I am not an embarrassment. And I am not a person that's filled with shame because I am the child of the one true King, Jesus Christ. I want to show you in verse 50 what Joseph does. He has an opportunity, a great opportunity to let his anger, to let his bitterness, to let his confusion take place. And here's the choice that he makes because he's not that person. This is who he is. I find this remarkable. In Genesis 50, 15, 21, it says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the things we did? 
So they sent word to Joseph saying, hey, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servant of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. Here's the big one right here in 18. It says his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. They said, we are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And I want you to read the highlighted part in yellow. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. (laughs) Holy cow. They left him. They threw him in a pit. They sold him. After he got sold, he gets put in jail because a wife of Potiphar lies. All these bad things are happening. But here's the deal. Sometimes we don't just get mad at the people that are harming us. Sometimes we get mad at God. Sometimes we get mad at God. Sometimes we wrestle with God. Sometimes we get to a place where something happens in our life. We had a death of a loved one or we... Somebody did something to us, and we're angry at God, and we're saying, God, how could you possibly let this happen? Like, you're telling me the person you want me to be, but yet I, all these things are taking place, or I want something, you're not giving it to me. I am just so, I'm so hopeless, I'm so angry at you, God. How could you let this happen? I believe this with all my heart, and I don't have any proof of this, but I believe this with all my heart that Joseph would have been feeling these things. See, we read the scriptures and we see, we already know some of the stories and we see some of the good stuff. We see the triumph of Joseph. But here's the deal. I really believe that Joseph would have been experiencing hurt and pain and frustration and confusion. And he probably was wrestling with God. He was probably upset. And you put that all in a box and this is what you get. You get a chance to have revenge. You get a chance to make them pay. You get a chance to let the dysfunction carry over because the dysfunction that probably would have been in his soul would have been so easy for him to put his brothers to death and say, you know what? Oh, you guys wronged me. But that was not the person that God intended for him to be. The person that God intended for him to be was free of anger, free of pain, free of embarrassment, free of confusion. And when you're free of those things and we become free of the dysfunction, you get grace which is what I want to kind of talk about a little bit. You see, I believe there's a limitless opportunity for grace because I believe there's a limitless opportunity for dysfunction. We live in a world that is free will and people can hurt you and people can say things and people can do, do things to you and things happen in our world and stuff that we don't understand and there's times we look at God and we're frustrated and there's times we look at those things but here's the deal, it's not just about the, the forgiveness that we're giving people, it's about the grace that we're giving ourselves because I don't wanna walk in shame, I don't wanna walk in conviction, I don't wanna walk in all these things that are gonna make me constantly feel how the enemy wants me to feel. I wanna be a person that walks in freedom, that walks in love, walks in grace, walks in encouragement, walks in all the things that God wants me to do. But if you let the dysfunction from other people seep into your life and you hold on to it, oh, it's going to destroy you. You see, you can let other people's injustice steal your destiny for who God created you to be. It's just the truth. 
you can let people's injustice steal the destiny of God who created, created you to be. It's a really, really powerful idea because I've let people do that to me. I've been told things. I've been hurt. I've been embarrassed. I've been challenged. I've been a victim. I've been you know, all these different things. Every single person in this room has been those things that I just named. We've all been hurt. We've all been a victim of someone's anger, of someone's meanness, of someone's rudeness. We've all been something. And if you continue to live in that, you'll never experience the freedom of what God wants you to be. You can actually let people's injustice steal your destiny. And how do I know this? How do I know that God wants to take on our dysfunction? How do I know that God is not about us living in someone else's destiny or having someone steal our destiny? And I'll tell you, it's in John chapter five, one through nine, and here's what it says. It's a beautiful passage. It's one of my favorites. It says, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the uh, Sheep Gate a pool in which Aramaic is called Bethsaida and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, the sick, the victims, the angry, the tempted, the hurt, the people filled with shame, all these different things. That's who was laying by this pool. The Bible's trying to paint an incredibly neat picture in this moment. The broken are sitting by this pool and they're struggling and nobody's gonna reach out to them because they're broken. You know, it's, it's easy for sometimes us to look at broken people or maybe we've been the broken people and think, ah, oh, is, that, is that Bob over there? Yeah, he's got a pretty messed up life. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can take that on. I don't know if I can help him. That's just a little too much. Or maybe you're the person that's broken and you're saying, ah, this is just who I am. I've been this way for 58 years. I'm a person that will never get it. God could never use me. I'm 75 years old. I've lived a, li- lived a life that's not been meaningful. I've lived a life that's been full of pain. I've been, lived a life that's full of anger. How could God possibly use me? There's, there's no way. This is, I'm too broken. I'm too a mess. And I look at this verse and... I look at this verse. I look at this verse and I think, you kidding me? These are people that are hurting and in pain. And Jesus says in verse five, one who was there and had been an invalid for 38 years. I'm sorry, it says in, in verse six, it talks about what it does. And if you're noticing, there is no verse four. It's a very interesting thing. In a lot of modern translations, they don't have a verse four. Um, I believe the, what, what they think about this, just a little, little history for you, what they think about this is that um, it has something to do with, um, it was not in the original text for some reason is what some people believe, some scholars believe. So verse four is omitted in a lot of the translations. If you ever read the story and you're wondering where verse four is, um, it's, it talks about an angel, um, but it's not in a lot of, many, many modern day translations do not have a verse four, so it's very interesting. 
Um, but in uh, verse six, it says, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in the condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, powerful words right here, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. I love that. Because Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? You see, he didn't just walk over and say, hey, Tim, I know you've been, uh, I know you've been struggling for quite some time now, like 30, 40 years or whatever with this, and I'm, I really want you to just get up and walk. See, that's sometimes what we want. We want God to come in and change our circumstances. We want God to come in and say, hey, Bob, I know you've been dealing with this, but I want you just to, I'm, you're free from it. But he doesn't always work like that. In fact, he doesn't work like that often. How God works is exactly what Jesus did here. He asked the question because it's on our behalf to choose for him to heal us. So he says, would you like to get well? See, I think he's looking at some of us today that are in the midst of dysfunction because of what other people have brought into our lives, the harm that other people have brought into our lives. And I think he's looking at you this morning and he's looking at me and he's saying, Mike, do you want to get well? Let me tell you what I see sometimes when I look in the mirror. What I see sometimes is an insecure person that struggles with anger. I struggle with worry and anxiety because I worry about a lot of things and I worry a lot about a lot of people. And when I look at that person, sometimes I look in the mirror and I see somebody and I just see myself and I'm, I'm unhappy because I'm like, man, that is, that's not who I want to be. But it'd be so hard for me to change it at this point is how I feel sometimes that I just keep I keep walking in that shame. And I, I think when I look in the mirror, God is wanting me to say, Mike, you're a person that's full of freedom because I gave you freedom. You can be a person that's full of courage. You don't have to worry because I told you not to worry about tomorrow. You can be a person that's full of hope. You can be a person that's full of love and grace. But I wanna ask you, Mike, I want to ask you, do you want to get well? Or is this the person that you wanna be? And I think in those moments I say, yes, Jesus, I wanna get well. I don't want to be stuck in my shame. I don't want to be stuck in my guilt. I'm going to have the band come up and they're going to play a song for us that is incredibly powerful. Um, when they come up, we'll have, um, when we start the song, I know Chandler will have you guys, guys sing and I'd love for you to take just a moment, just a moment to close your eyes. You don't have to raise your hands. You don't even have to stand up. I don't care what you do, but I want you to take a moment and just Look at what the dysfunction is that maybe you have caused or that, that someone has caused in your life and think to myself, am I still chained? Am I still this person or can I shout out to God because I believe Jesus wants to hear from us. I believe he wants us to get on our knees and cry out to him and say, God, I am gonna call upon you because your name breaks my chains. You see, sometimes it's easy to say that we want to do this, but it actually is hard to actually do it. And here's how I know, because there's a small little joke. A Sunday school teacher asked her class, how many of you guys, if you had a million dollars, would give it to the poor? And all the kids raised their hand, I would, I would. And the teacher says, if you guys had a thousand dollars, how many of you guys would give it to the poor? And all the kids, I would, I would. And the teacher says, if you had a hundred dollars, 
How many of you guys would give this to the poor? And all the kids, yes, I would. And the last thing she asks is, if you kids had a dollar, how many of you would give this to the poor? And some of the kids, yeah, I would, I would. But there's Johnny sitting in the corner and he doesn't raise his hand this time. The teacher says, well, Johnny, you said you'd give a million dollars and thousand dollars. Why wouldn't you give a dollar? And he says, because I have a dollar. I'm not going to give that dollar because I actually have a dollar. I think some of us want to be free. I think some of us want to break the chains. I think some of us want to be broken of our shame. In this moment right here, can this be a moment as Chandler and the band lead? You either stand to your feet, you raise your hands, you close your eyes, you sit down, you bend down your knees. I don't care what you do, but let the Holy Spirit move in you and say, God, I call upon you and I am not gonna be this person. I don't have to be this person because I am free, not by my own works, but by what Jesus did on the cross for us. It's a really, really powerful thought. Please take time and just let this moment soak in for you. I wanna just go ahead and I'm gonna just pray us out. Um, if you just bow your heads with me. God, we, we come before you and... Um, we're people that are set free when we call upon your name, God. I don't know exactly every single hurt in the room. I don't know every person that's confused in the room. I don't know every person that's asked and cried out to you, why, why us in this room? I don't know every person that's asked, why me in this room? I don't know of every person that's a victim in this room. I don't know of every person that's carrying shame in this room, anxiety, fear, feeling inadequate, not feeling good enough, not feeling like there's a plan, feeling like it's too late. It's too late in my life. God, I just, if you tell us not to worry about tomorrow, then what, what does it matter what our age is? Because you gave us today. Jesus, I just ask you this morning that we would call upon your name. God, you are our hope. I ask this morning for not only Waypoint, but for every church in our area, every church in our country, every church in our world, that you would be uplifted this morning. Whatever the sermon topic is, whatever the message is, God, I believe that each speaker that you ordained what they're talking about this morning, God. So I just ask that, that people would hear your voice. I ask that people would be challenged. I ask that people would be encouraged, that we have hope. We don't have to live in shame. We don't have to let dysfunction that we've caused ruin us anymore because we can stand in the gate and say enough. And we don't have to let the dysfunction that other people have caused shame us anymore or embarrass us anymore because we can distance, hopefully we can distance ourselves from that person, that group of people or that situation and say no more because I'm a child of God and I'm free. God, I thank you for this group of people that they chose to come here this morning. It's by the grace of God that you bring people here. It's not by anything really that we do, God. It's just that people want to know you. They want to be encouraged and challenged by you. I asked this morning that that's exactly what would happen. I thank you, Jesus, for this group of people. Give them a blessed week. It's in the amazing name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. We love you. We'll see you next week.